Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in New York City. Very excited to announce that we are being joined this week by one of our most popular guests, uh, he's not only a excellent, an excellent poker player, he's also a prolific coach and an author. Uh, I'm a huge fan of his book, which, uh, well, he's got a lot of books out there, but the, the most recent one and the one that I'm such a huge fan of is called Exploitative Play in Live Poker. He's a good friend of mine and a former New York City resident. Please welcome back to the program, the assassinato, Alex Fitzgerald. Alex, how have you been? I feel fantastic. I've been fantastic. How you been, man? Really good. Uh, feeling like we're finally starting to get in the clear pandemic-wise. And uh, you moved out of here. The last time we spoke, you were in New York. Uh, what, you just had enough, <laughs> had enough yeah. of city life during a pandemic or what? No, you know, I, I love New York, and it's one of those things. It, it's like being French. At some point, you got to live in – if you were French, at some point, you'd have to live in Paris. If you're an American, at some point, you got to live in the uh, in New York City. Sorry, guys. I just woke my ass up. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll learn how to form a sentence. I, I was out late last night. But, uh, yeah, you know, you got to live in New York City at some point. If you can when you're young because it's a great time. But, yeah, just as you're trying to, you know, take care of things a little bit more, I guess. I just spent so much money when I was there, man. It was really tough. And, uh, you know, I'm still taking care of my mother. She's been uh, – I've been taking care of her for a few years now. And, like, when you're taking care of medical bills in the United States, you start going, all right, I got to save money somewhere. So I was having a lot of fun in New York City, but – yeah, I'm in uh, Denver now, and it's a lot of fun out here. The cost of living definitely goes down from New York City. I guess I would have had to go to Honolulu to make it more expensive than New <laughs> York City. But, yeah, it's been – you know, I'm still going to fly back to New York City all the time. I, 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 I love that city so much. I'm so lucky I got to spend so many years there. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much were here through most of the pandemic, and then uh... – it's like right when things started to reopen again, Alex was like, all right, well, I think I'll get out now. <laughs> yeah, I was having too much fun just hanging out in my apartment all day. <laughs> I was like, I got to go somewhere else now to hang out in my apartment. Yeah, that was uh, a terrific timing on my part. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. So tell us about Denver. Is there a poker scene out there uh, for those who haven't been? Oh, I, I mostly play online, so I haven't really been checking. I, I know about an hour away from me I could get to a card room, but I haven't been there yet. But I, I just like the city a lot. There's so much to do out here. You know, you got every major sports team. You got shows. You got comedy. You have nature. You have hiking. You have it, it, just everything going on. So it, it's been really nice. I'm mostly playing about once or twice, about once a week, I'll play Sundays. Almost always, I play Sundays, and then I play cash online too, just because still a lot of the home games went online, and there's stuff like that going on. But uh, I'm mostly gonna go out to Vegas when I do play live and just try to 
Yeah, just do the five weeks in Vegas, play as much live as possible, as opposed to commuting an hour, play a couple hours here, then come back. If I'm going to do it that way, if I just go out for five weeks and play eight, ten hours a day, I'll get more play done in those five weeks in Vegas than I would the entire year of commuting back and forth in Denver. Yeah, as you're not really local to a casino. See, I didn't really play as much live poker growing up as maybe online poker. I played a ton of online poker, and then I learned a bunch of tricks that worked in live poker, but my focus is still always online because every, all the live players went online, and, like, God, they're not good, man. I love it. <laughs> so, yeah, tell us what kind of stuff are you playing on Sundays. I, I'm playing a ton on Ignition because uh, uh, Carlos was telling me about, you know, hey, on this site, you, you got to see this stuff, man. I said, all right, I'll get on there. So, at the beginning of the year, I played a lot on America's Card Room, and I was lucky enough to win their 250k guaranteed, which I was really happy about. But the same thing, it's like there's a lot of regulars on that site, so it's just an arms race. I'm always trying to come up with a new play, just something new that I can work over on the regulars, and they're good. They pick up on it pretty quick. It's like it's like having a trick pitch in baseball. And they can really hit, right? So you're, you're painting the black and you think like, okay, I got this. And then they start hitting it and you go, all right, back to the drawing board. Whereas you go on ignition and if you can throw that thing 55 miles an hour over the plate one time out of two, they will strike out. It's going to happen. Like they are just not good at all. And you just, if you think they have top pair, you just overbet and they just call down. It's insane. So the, the, the way it would go on America's card room is, yeah, you you win one tournament for like fifty five thousand. Then the next week you're like you're down four hundred. Now the next week you're down six hundred. <laughs> uh, the next week you're down four hundred. What it, on ignition? It's like you're up two hundred. You're up four hundred. You're up two hundred. You're up four hundred. You're up eight hundred. You're up it it. You just get consistent final tables. There's a lot of times where I just sit there and I go, he's not really gonna call this, is he? Oh my god. This is you almost start feeling bad for them at some point. Like, come on, man, you're trying so hard. You know, you know that second pair is not good. I know the flush draw messed. Oh, okay, you called off. All right, thank you, thank you again for another final table. I appreciate it, man. But yeah, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. It's just it reminds me of playing poker when I started. Like this was how bad the players were in the mid 2000s. Like nobody, I always hear that stuff. Like poker keeps getting tougher. It well. Not if recreational people keep entering, right? That's like saying basketball keeps getting tougher because the NBA keeps getting better. I'm pretty sure if you're playing local pickup games at the YMCA with local retirees, they still can't shoot a jump shot. Right, right. So there you go, guys. Assassinato here echoing the sentiments of Carlos Welch, who was pounding the table on uh, how juicy the games are on Ignition Poker. So there you go, guys. There's another hot tip <laughs> from one of yes, our sir. coaches here. Yes, sir. So speaking of Vegas, you mentioned that you might get out to Vegas and play some cash there or, or play some tournaments there. Uh, are, do you have any plans to join the fun at the World Series of Poker, which is pretty much starting up now? Yeah, I'm going to be out there on the 29th. What is that, Wednesday? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm going to be out there here pretty soon. I, I'm out there for – I think I'm two and a half weeks on, two two weeks off. You know, I gotta come home so my girlfriend doesn't kill me at some point. You know, <laughs> you know how it is. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, yeah. So I think I'm two and a half weeks on, two weeks off, and like two, three weeks there. 
or something along those lines. Yeah, I'm going to play as much as possible. I I love the events this year, man. It's hard for the Euros to get in. And I, w- I was thinking, tell me if I'm wrong, most of the working professionals on earth are European, right? Because if you're making $30,000 a year in Belarus, don't you just own Belarus? Whereas a lot of – yeah, whereas if you're making $30,000 a year in the United States, you start – and that's like the average poker player's salary if you're playing low to mid stakes. If you're making $30,000 a year in the United States, there's a big party that goes, okay – I, I got to figure out something else because also tax law in the United States is not exactly favorable to professional gamblers in a lot of facets. There's a lot of things that I can't write off that uh, a professional athlete could write off, for example, right? So there's a, you know, a lot of the professionals I meet tend to be from other countries just because maybe there's a more favorable tax law. They don't even pay taxes on their gambling winnings. The U.S. dollar is stronger in their economy, and if they just can't get into the country. And everybody with $888 is playing live poker in the United States for a bracelet, and they're all playing for fun. Like, this is my wheelhouse, man. I can't wait. It's a, it's all about that overbet, man. Like, are, are you working on o- overbets? Are you guys talking about overbets? I cannot believe the overbets I get called now. Everybody is sick of folding. Everybody is done with folding. You don't even need to bluff anymore. It's just a second pair of top kicker. Just rip it. Yeah, we've actually had quite a few hands lately, Alex, where, uh, you know, either myself or the guest uh, is kind of experimenting with like a two times pot or even bigger in some cases, uh, especially as the solvers say you have to have bluff catchers. You know, I think some people take that idea a little bit too far and maybe call down, like, I can't fold top pair because it's a bluff catcher. And if I don't call with this hand, I can't call with anything. So they end up staying in with you. And, yeah, so overbetting is definitely, uh, I guess, the hot new pitch uh, on this baseball field for sure. So it sounds like you want to play the 888. Uh, From what you said, it sounds like you're into the, the Crazy Eights tournament. Uh, what yeah, else are, are you are you sort of eyeballing on the schedule? Like, what else are you really excited to play? You know, anything that allows the recreational players in, I want to be in there. One, just for quality of life. Two, for the money. But a lot of times you go play those tournaments. Those are the people talking, having a good time, and they're playing quickly. Man, the last, like, four or $5,000 tournaments I played – are just the higher buy-ins. It, I get to the point where it's like, come on, guys, we got If we're getting 18 hands a level, this is a turbo tournament, right? You you got to speed this up. This is getting really ridiculous. It, it's uh, it. I was playing with a bunch of pros at uh, WPT Tampa, and that was that wasn't too bad actually. Uh, to be fair, they picked it up a little bit. Some of the younger guys, but then I was out in Oklahoma for that WPT, and oh my god, brother. Like they they just they they act in like one second the casual players I love it it's just like ram and jam action and I was just having a great time and that that tournament I never got above three x my starting stack I still cashed because everybody was so nuts at that tournament it just it, it starts with a thousand people and nine hundred people are bust in like eighteen hours I was like I love these people man this is amazing wow. Yeah, yeah that, that sounds fun. That sounds like a good time. I gotta go. I gotta go check that one out. I've never been to Oklahoma. Oh man, it's you know it's a, Oklahoma something else. Like everybody was real nice there, but there was so many weird things. Like I I show up I show up with my girl 
first we drove there. That was the dumbest idea anybody's ever had. Like, if, if you're supposed to be focused for a poker tournament, so like a, a 12-hour drive before the first day, not the greatest idea I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I show up at the Best Western, and they go, okay, so you're in a smoking room. I'm like, wait, 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 you still have smoking rooms? And they're like, yeah, you're in the smoking room. I'm like, shut up. No, you, you're lying to me. They're like, no, it's a smoking room. I'm like, you got to have something else. They go, there's nothing else in this town. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So we go in there, dude. It reeks like a 1970s casino. Like oh, this is, no. it, this was exactly why Johnny Chan always had that orange on him. And he was trying to sniff it. And like my girl practically faints the second she walks through the door. I'm like, well, this is great. Everybody's getting a headache tonight. And then the, the next day, I like go out like early in the morning. I wake up early before the tournament, try to like work out, like just moderate exercise, right? To wake myself up, right? Not to like, you know, do anything really strenuous. I try to find coffee. There's like no coffee in the entire town. I, I go to a coffee shop and I jokingly say, you know, like, hey, give me the strongest coffee you got. And the girl goes, we got coffee. I'm like, like just coffee? Yeah, we got coffee. It's like a dollar. <laughs> it's like, it's like, Going back to the 50s, man, she hands me, like, watered-down Folgers. I'm like, it, it, like I got I got to get to work, okay? I can't be eating, like, a strudel cake before work. Do you have anything stronger than this? But, yeah, everybody was real nice in Oklahoma, but it's a, you know, it's a, di it's a different world there. It's uh, I, <laughs> the South is something else, man. It's real fun to play poker there, but you realize, like, man, it, it, these are action games here because folks need something to do sometimes. Yeah, it sounds like a, quite a culture shock driving yeah. those 12 hours and ending up in Oklahoma. It was different. It was different. The highways, by the way, look like they were made in the 50s, man, and they just <laughs> never, like, ever, ever fixed, man. They're just, like, cracked pavement and everything's falling down. It looked like, yeah, it was funny. But, yeah, okay, yeah, continuing on. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So, yeah, uh, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, I don't really know what to expect with this World Series of Poker. I'm actually going to be arriving uh, sometime during week two. Yeah, I wanted to know um, what your thoughts are. Like, obviously, like, yeah, we won't have as many Euros. Some of them are having trouble getting out of their countries, or even if they can get out of the countries, they won't be able to get vaccinated in time to play in the events. But what do you think about the fact that uh, the World Series is mandating vaccinations do you think that that might have the potential to keep away some of those recreational players right. that you were saying you're looking forward to playing against no i've actually been thinking about that a lot and i i have no idea how to predict that which is one the one thing we can predict is it's going to be very difficult for euros to get in on time because if anyone's ever dealt with paperwork in the u.s government before they're not exactly timely. That's not something they're great at. You know, that's just, you know, maybe they might do some other things right. I'm not really sure. But like when it comes to like getting your paperwork through and trying to get something done on time, it, 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 sometimes you can pay to expedite it, but it's going to be tough for a lot of them to get in. Right. So the first thing we need to know is we're going to be dealing with Americans and Americans play for fun. One of the reasons I focus most on Americans is if I play like four hours with Americans, it's like playing 16 hours with tougher players just because the profit margins are so good and the bang for the buck is there. And the reason the bang for the buck is there, there's two spots you can really focus on. I love the most, which is uh, getting to the big blind is really huge. I've been talking about this a lot the past couple of years, getting a lot of results with my students, which is, and it, it's really cool just to work with some of the GTO guys now and some of the stuff they're doing with the charts. And the thing I knew was, 
if you get to the big blind, that was always the worst player at the table because I, I don't know what this is. If some guy limped in from the hijack with jack two of diamonds, called a raise, and the board came king jack three and he called three streets, we'd go, wow, this guy's not going to be around that long. But for some reason, when that guy calls out of the big blind with jack two of diamonds, the board comes king jack three and the guy calls three streets, nobody blinks an effing eye. Everybody just goes, yeah, you know, you had to call out of the big blind. He had second pair. He thought you were bluffing queen 10, so on and so forth. So your job is always take a look to the people to your left. Take a look to, at the people to your left. Are they looking at, you know, the screens? Are, are they motioning like they're going to fold? Do they look disinterested? See if you can get to that big blind. Try to work on that big blind. Try to play big pots in position with superior hands, if at all possible. And even if it's not a superior hand, just work on them. And it's really cool with uh, – what I was going to say earlier before I lost my train of thought and just kept babbling on was the GTO guys. Uh, I'm really good at that, by the way. But uh, the GTO guys, that is something that's really cool is there. It, I've been talking with them and I go, OK, what is the big line supposed to do here versus like a 3x or a 3.5x raise? And they go, oh, the range is dramatically different compared to what they're supposed to call a 2x raise with. And I'm like, OK, well. Almost every American will call you with – they call out of the big blind with what they want to call out of the big blind with. They don't really care what the raise size is. Like nobody from Tulsa who's there for a good time is going to go like, you know what? That king four offsuit, a little bit different to the 3.5X. He's just going to go, nah, I like a king. I'm going to keep going with it. And then if you take a look at what they're supposed to be doing post-flop, this is where it gets hilariously bad how off they are. They're supposed to be check-raising a lot of gut shots. They're supposed to be check-raising a lot of backdoor draws. They're supposed to be check-raising some uh, pairs sometimes for value on different streets. Nobody's doing any of that, right? They're so, so, so far off from what they're supposed to be doing. If you keep nailing that big blind, you're going to be making money. And the other thing a lot of Americans do is they don't raise because they have like some dis disciplined pre-flop strategy like a lot of serious poker players seem to think that everybody else plays poker seriously and that's not how things work a lot of people play very much for fun and you can't project how you think about poker onto other people what they're doing is if they look down at their hand and they want to see the flop they're not going to limp because that jackass 29 year old kid in the hoodie is going to raise them off their hand so they're going to raise because they've done some they've learned something throughout time, which is that if they raise, people don't three bet them enough, but if they limp in, people are really likely to raise them. So just because they raise from under the gun plus two doesn't mean it's a really good hand. If that's a Euro who plays more seriously, now remembering, we all have to remember Europeans, when they grow up, they play chess. It's it's not like you and me, Clayton, where we played poker growing up. Like that's like the family game, right? Like that's what you do at family gatherings. If you play poker in Europe, that's more of a serious thing. That's not like something you're doing with your family nearly as much. So they might know their opening ranges. They might be a little bit more game theory optimally correct. Americans are just playing for a good time. They're playing like it's their home game. They're playing it's like, like it's their home casino where nobody three bets them. So you can really hammer them when they open a little bit too much. That play might not be as available versus professionals, it, but that might not be as much of a consideration. So... I think regardless of who goes in there, you'll still be able to hammer quite a bit on the big blind. You're st these things seem to be pretty universal with any crowd I play with in the United States. They open too much. They call out of the big blind too much. You can really hammer them. As far as my speculation as to how it's going to affect the games, 
I have no idea. I was trying to play before the WSOP to get fresh, so I played a couple of WSOP events. I was lucky enough to get that cash in Oklahoma. And, yeah, you know, I got to tell you, in Oklahoma, a lot of the folks I enjoy playing with, I don't know if they're into the vaccinations. I couldn't tell you that. That didn't seem, <laughs> they, uh, they didn't seem too into that, right, you know, just in passing conversations. And uh, I, I can't tell you. I, I really can't predict it. The other thing, though, I've been thinking about is – isn't it hard to do anything now without the vaccinations in the United States? Because I think two things can be true at once. One, people can really not want to get the vaccination. And two, they might still get it just because it's such a pain in the ass to deal with their work or to deal with their area if they don't get it. So I don't know if it's going to affect things that much. And there might be a lot of people that were saying, I'm not going to get it. I'll wait and see. And then wait a second. I can only play the WSOP if it's vaccinations okay, screw it, I'll just go get the J&J one. So I honestly can't tell you how it's going to affect anything. I'm just going to play it by ear when I get there. Yeah, I mean, I guess it remains to be seen, but we'll find out soon enough. Yes, I mean, here in New York, you can't even go into a restaurant without showing oh, yeah? your vaccination card. I mean, it finally very, happened? Yeah. I did three shows last night in a comedy club, so if my voice sounds ragged, that's why. But yeah, the... Uh, <laughs> The you know the comedy clubs they all have to follow the um, the local rules which are you know you can't even they check your vaccine card at the door so you can't go to a restaurant <laughs> you can't go to the movies like everybody here is vaccinated and as a result you know the New York City is something like eighty five percent vaccinated right now but there are definitely wow. other places that are not playing it this way um, they have a little bit more of a I don't know what you want to say, like a libertarian viewpoint where live and let live. We're not going to force people to get vaccinated. And in those places, if that's how the governments are, they might not be used to having to show their card to go anywhere. And so they they might have a bit of a of a culture shock of their own when they get to the World Series and realize they can't even play the crazy eights because they didn't get the needles. But there are other places where they can play where they would have to wear a mask. But, you know, uh, I don't believe they're requiring vaccination at the Wynn or the Venetian. And so I've heard some players saying that because they want to play versus unvaccinated players, they're actually (laughs) planning to go to those other casinos instead. (laughs) (laughs) What a time we're living. It's so weird because I'm in Denver and like it, it like Denver is a fairly liberal city, like first city to legalized marijuana and everything you would think they'd go like the way of new york city on all of this i was at a comedy show last night with 3500 people at charity event no vaccine checks nothing just 3500 people no masks no vaccine check no nothing and it's so weird that like in new york city you think like denver new york city not that different man my voice is raspy too hold on (laughs) (laughs) i'm a pack a day smoker uh, it sounds like now uh but yeah it's so weird how these two cities could be so similar on so many other things politically but yeah the vaccines have divided things so much by the way i didn't know shows were on like that in new york again you did three shows last night that's awesome man. yeah i mean we're we're pretty much going full time um yeah i mean for a while when it first opened up it was like a limited schedule, limited seating. Um, the comedians were bringing their own microphones, <laughs> just so we didn't oh, give man. each other any diseases. You know, it was oh, kind man. of uh, people man. really tiptoed back in here. But yeah, definitely, the comedy scene is back in New York, 
And, oh, thank God. Yeah, it's going on. So Were you going nuts not being able to get on stage for a while? Was it good to finally get up there? Yeah, I mean, you know, we did some comedy over Zoom. I did some rooftop comedy, outdoor comedy. Man. I mean, nothing compares to the feeling you get, especially like on a Saturday night in New York, New York, and you just, yeah. you know, it, it's it's the greatest. So I'm, I'm glad to be back with that. And I was telling our listeners last week, I'm trying to do as much comedy as I can right now because I plan to play a full schedule at the WSOP. Um, I'm also going to be doing a little bit of commentary for Poker Go, so I'm excited about that as well. But as far as the stand-up, that's going to have to take a back seat for uh, at least till the end of the series. So I'm trying to get my fix now because I know I'm going to be really jonesing for for laughter when I, when I'm out there in Vegas. But yeah, mostly I'm excited to play. I mean, I feel like it's been forever since we had a real World Series of Poker, and this one is going to be different. Last year was really different because it was all online. But yeah, I'm just ready to try to get to back to some kind of you know normal life poker wise and uh, I was out there in the summertime I, I did go to Vegas for um, a couple of different reasons but I got to play a few Venetian tournaments and it was funny Alex because when I got there there was no mask mandate so I was there during the week when that went into effect so it was oh, like wow. one day I'm playing poker with no mask on and the next day I have to wear it <laughs> and it was like man this is way more fun without the mask dude yeah, it, it definitely – I don't even mind the mask because I, I don't know where this came from. I, I've been playing poker professionally since I was a teenager, so I can't get rid of – I have this, like, game face when I play, which just looks absolutely disgusted with everything, and I can't get rid of it. And I don't know what it is. Just when I'm at a poker table, it's just fixed on me. I've had that since I was a kid. And when I put the mask on, it's like, oh, thank God, I don't have to – like keep that poker face all the time people fold to me a lot more by the way when they can't see my resting bitch face that's been an adjustment for me but yeah at the same time it's not as fun with the mask on because you can't chop it up with people you can't table talk you can't laugh you can't smile so i i totally would prefer if we could go back to no mask yeah yeah so the masks are going to be optional at the rio so i probably oh, okay Okay. I'll be playing a cool. lot there. Yeah, that's why they did the vaccine thing. So it's like you, uh, you show your vaccine card. If we all have them, then they don't actually have to follow the mask mandate. That's kind of the idea. But, yeah, for me, uh, it, you know, it's just a pain to wear a mask. I don't like trying to breathe through a piece of paper. And I don't like <laughs> I don't yeah. like uh, fogging up my glasses every time I exhale. Like, oh, it's just, yeah. It's just a real brutal, brutal situation. Oh, so That's annoying. Yeah, yeah, so I'll probably be playing mostly at the Rio. But, I mean, everybody knows I'm I'm going to the win for the Mystery Bounty, which is the tournament that I'm most excited to play. I love <laughs> this idea, the Mystery Bounty. Oh, that sounds fun, yeah. Yeah, you bust somebody, you don't know how much you win, but you get something. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I love the new tournament strategy. I mean, the new tournament formats that keep coming up with. It, it's a good time. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll have to get together. Uh, if you're going to be coming back and forth, I'm going to be there pretty much the whole time. We'll have to get together. Maybe we can do a live podcast. Uh, where Hell we yeah. can see each other. That would be fun. Yeah, that'll be fun. That that's uh, and we won't have to wear hazmat suits <laughs> like we would have <laughs> like we would have had to last year in New York. Yeah, that sounds like a great time, man. Yeah, well, you seem like you're doing well. Um, I'm happy for you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, do you have a hand we can go through? Sure. I'm actually so. Carlos has just like become so 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 good. 
that I'm like, dude, tell me how to play, right? And I'm gonna give you a few things that we actually did some work together. And uh, it, if you guys wanna go to pokerheadrush.com, I, I don't wanna take up too much of the podcast. If you sign up for the newsletter, you can hear about what Carlos and I are doing on that. But uh, it's a free newsletter. It's not anything like you have to pay for. But uh, the, yeah, the thing, I, I'm taking a look at some hands real quick. So. Essentially, I started talking to Carlos because obviously, even before the bracelet, this guy was kicking ass. And I was like, dude, teach me. I want to know your ways, man. And th some of the things he's been uh, like teaching, uh, let me uh, let me find a couple of hands here. I'm pulling it up. Uh, so there's a few things I was doing wrong with recreational players. This is beautiful right before the series. So uh, let me let me pull it up. Poker head rush. Dot com is where you can sign up for Alex's free newsletter. He's also got quite a few really useful vid videos on our website, which is tournamentpokeredge.com. And Alex has been a coach for TPE for quite a long time. And you can search by, uh, the, by the name of the coach and you can find all of his videos that come up and, you know, just the way he looks at the game. And you guys have already heard a couple of points he made about how you might want to over bet here or you know maybe open larger where you're trying to get the big blind to make a bigger mistake and you know I like Alex because while he's learning about the GTO ways he knows that the best way to make the most money in poker is to find mistakes to exploit and that's always been Alex's approach to the game and yeah like you know reading his book and so he's really focusing on how we can exploit the tendencies of our opponents. And so that goes along with this idea that he's he's searching for recreational players to go up against. You know, it's very hard to find a way to exploit a robot. <laughs> but if you <laughs> yeah. can find a player that actually makes right. mistakes, uh, then learning from Alex how to maximize opportunities is really what we're trying to do. And so the first thing you got to do is find a game that has rec players in it so that there's someone for you to exploit in the first place. So, yes, yeah, sir. check out PokerHeadRush.com, and, and you'll, you'll learn more about that. Yeah, and I do a lot of uh, free training, and, uh, you know, obviously let, what, what we're doing right now, it's with TPE. And the, the thing with PokerHeadRush.com is I, I used to be broke as a joke when I was a kid. I didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out for a time. So I always thought it would be really cool to do like a free daily newsletter because when I was a kid, those Tommy Angelo articles kept me going when I just didn't really have a whole lot going on. I wasn't like destitute, by the way, guys. I was just couch surfing and it sucked, right? But uh, it, it was like reading Tommy Angelo articles would just get me so hyped when I was a kid and I, I really want to pay it forward. So yeah, that, that newsletter, it's daily, it's free. You can check it out and I whenever I'm, doing training anywhere else i'll post it on there so you can check it out check out tpe tpe legends in the game they have so much great stuff and carlos legend of the game tpe alumni he taught me a lot of the stuff i'm about to talk to you about carlos welch really really is something that i love that he does is he wanted to understand the gto world to start being better as an exploitative player and he definitely when i was going through his playbooks he was nice enough to uh show me some of his playbooks and I actually did some content about that on pokerheadrush.com and uh that came out on the newsletter and other places his playbooks are based on the one of the things that I love that he does and a lot of the things I've been trying to do lately is when I talk to a lot of these GTO guys they'll all tell you privately 
there's not a GTO coach that doesn't exploit their opponents, but they know when to exploit based on their GTO understanding. That framework gives them a great understanding of, oh my God, this guy is off right here. I got a punch right now, right? It's like, you know, like Floyd Mayweather knows, like, this is how you're supposed to be defensively. Here's like your GTO options to defend yourself the most. Ooh, look what you left open there. Okay. Now that I know what you're supposed to be doing and you're not doing that, I'm about to clock you right quick. Now, let me give you this situation. So let's say you're at the beginning of a tournament in Vegas. The stack sizes are very deep. So right now you're about 100 big blinds deep. Uh, the under the gun player has just raised to 2.5x. This under the gun player limped King Jack offsuit earlier and limped uh, 9-8 suited earlier. So they've raised to uh, 2.5x under the gun. It's come around to you on the button. What, what do you like doing here? Yeah, so what do we With, have? With uh, King, King Queen, I just I, I just realized I didn't say. Like I told you guys, I woke up like five minutes ago. King Queen <laughs> offsuit is what we got. My bad, my bad. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, King Queen offsuit versus an under-the-gun raise from a player who has a tendency to limp in with hands like King Jack, you know, that kind of makes me want to just fold. Like, I don't have to yes, play sir. this hand. Yes, sir. Yeah, see, now this is where I kept messing things up, and Carlos was fixing my game. So I'd be playing on America's Card Room, and I was doing fine there. You know, I was I was lucky enough to win some bigger tournaments there. But on ACR, you just get into this habit of hammering everybody whenever they open because everything's crap, right, that they open – and then you see them limp like King Jack once and you go, ah, you know, that's just, he was goofing off that one hand. He's going to go back to opening 6-4 suited. It, you're right, though. Like these recreational players, if they're limping like King Jack and they're limping the suited connectors, when they, if they're limping their mediocre hands, they're limping their me, uh, good hands, then when they're raising, logically they can only have their great hands or their terrible hands. And they're probably not raising 9-2 offsuits. So... A lot of times you'll see like a good reg on some of these tougher sites. And this is something I see a lot when people play uh, on sites with more regulars. They come in to the World Series of Poker. They come into the Venetian tournaments and they think everybody's running and gunning. And you got to remember, a lot of these people play home games and a lot of these people just limp with any mediocre or good hand. So when they raise, you've got to be careful with it. Okay, so we started with an easy one. Let me grab another one. I had it pulled up right before we went online, and now it's gone. Oh, there it is. Okay, great. So here we have, we'll do another beginning of the tournament. So you're at the beginning of a WSOP event. So you have ace, eight of spades out of the big blind. So a guy who has been, we'll say, a little bit more loose, aggressive, but not too crazy. He's one of these guys having fun. Let's say you're at the Venetian. A lot, you get a lot of these guys at the Venetian. Guy opens a lot, a little bit more when it's folded to him, but he's not that out of line. So we got ace, eight of, eight of spades out of the big blind, and we are like 200 big blinds deep or whatever stupid big stack they give you at the beginning. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you got it. So you have ace, eight of spades here, and you call out of the big blind for this one. So the board comes, king of clubs, Six of spades, ten of spades, you check, and he checks back. The turn is the eight of clubs. What would you want to do here, Clayton? Okay, so with this card, we've made a pair of eights. We also have a flush draw. Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any problem with leading. I mean, maybe just put in a little bet here, maybe half the pot. But it yeah. feels like that's going to be wrong. <laughs> but I, that's no, what I would no, do. No, no, no. 
that's actually something I wanted to talk about here, which is, yeah, a lot of times people bet this turn a little bit too much, and you got to be careful with certain players because they're uh, – let's just pretend you had ace to hearts here. When – let's just say you didn't have the flush draw. A lot of times you'll see people lead there all the time because I made a pair. Great. And then the river comes something bad for them, and they check. Well, a lot of the regs you're going to play against who are actually pretty – good at putting hands together they're they're not going to pay you off on the river if you fire again but they definitely will understand you capped your range if you checked on the river right there and you would have bet with two pair or better or you have mostly you've mostly told them you have one pair that you do not like anymore or a misdraw they will understand that and they'll take advantage of you. Now, one of the things that's really interesting is when you're playing in Vegas is you can value bait really thinly and you can just fire out like one third pot, like nothing. And people just don't even think. They look down at their hand if they've got a pair, they go ahead and call because they feel ridiculous folding to such a small bet when there's an audience because the audience might say something. So you can value bet a little bit more thinly here with the eight because you'll probably still get called by like fives or fours, and sometimes if all the draw, draws miss with these kind of players, they'll go ahead and pay you off one more time. So I do like the turn lead here. You want to be a little bit more careful with regulars with your weaker pairs when you're leading on the turn. So we lead, uh, let's say, like a little bit more than half pot, and this player goes ahead and calls you. The river is the eight of diamonds, so there's about, let's say, like 12 big blinds in the middle, and the final board right now is king of clubs, Six of spades, ten of spades, eight of clubs, eight of diamonds. You have ace, eight of spades. What is your bet here, good sir? This is a spot where I like to overbet, and the reason for yeah. that, <laughs> the reason why I want to do it is because we have the the ace high flush draw, which is the most likely flush draw. So that means that if our opponent doesn't have a flush draw and he had a hand to call with on the turn then he probably still has a hand that he's going to want to call with on the river. Therefore, I want to bet big because he's never folding a king. So let's just go ahead and put in like, I don't know, 165% of the pot and see if he'll call us. Damn, bro, you you had a bullet point I missed on this. We did not prep before this episode at all. I have my bullet points right here, and you actually had one I forgot. That's really good. You're right, because you got the flush on your hand. It's less likely he has a misdraw. You're absolutely right. This is a beautiful spot. And this is something uh, Carlos really talks about overbets, and I, I've just been infatuated with the overbet because, you know, two things can't be true at once, which is people keep telling me, okay, nobody folds to my bets. I can't beat these donkeys. Nobody ever folds. And then I go, well, do you ever overbet? No, because they keep folding, man. They, nobody pays me off. It's like, hold up, hold up. It's got to be one or the other, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you go, come on, man, come on. Like, help me out here. But if they're not folding to you, you're absolutely right. This is a beautiful spot. Now, here's something that I've noticed. So I've been working on, I'm really big on, and let me ch take a look. I did bet, you bet 165%, but I've just bet one point, uh, one and a half, and he called me with like, uh, Actually, no, I didn't get to see the hand, whatever he had. The thing about it is this is what I've noticed with recreational players. So first of all, in tournaments, and this is going to happen to you guys a lot if you're playing in Vegas, if you're playing a WSP or you're playing with a Venetian, you know you have like 200 big blinds. You know you got a whole tournament going on for the next couple of days. 
But this guy is playing for fun, and it feels like Monopoly money. You remember at the beginning of playing the board game Monopoly, you got your cash, and you're just kind of buying properties, and you don't really know what you're trying to do? That Remember being 10 years old and doing that? That's how most people play poker. They're there for fun. Now, when they're talking about their administrative duties at work or working as a psychiatrist or working cleaning pools or whatever it is that they do for a living, they're actually really good at telling you how that works. And you would be the clueless person when it comes to that. But when it comes to poker, a lot of these folks play for fun and they use generalizations. You can't really see the world without generalizations and operate as a homo sapien. Homo sapiens use generalizations to their detriment a lot of the time, but that it's really good to have a generalization like, hey, don't walk across the street without looking both ways. That's actually a good generalization. That's how homo sapiens stay alive. And the generalization they're going to make is that top pair is good when a flush draw misses, or second pair is good when a flush draw misses. And to be fair to them, that's right a lot of the time. And that keeps them going in their home games. But you just got to exploit that. Whenever draws miss, this is something I've noticed. I've been playing with this so much. Whenever two draws miss, two or more draws miss, and I have something that beats like second pair, I'm just instantly betting like 180% pot, 220% pot, 160% pot. And I am stunned. I keep thinking this is the time they're not going to pay me off. This has got to be the time. But at the beginning with like 200 big blinds, 100 big blinds, you know it's 200 big blinds, but they just kind of think of it as all as like monopoly money, man. They're not thinking 200 big blinds. They're thinking like, this is stupid how many chips I got. And they go, okay, I think this guy's trying to buy it. And the great thing live is if you didn't shove them all in, they don't even have to show you their hand. So they can always say to themselves, it's a free roll for a heroin high. I'm always, I'm never going to stop saying this. So most people think, the way that people work is they come up with their rationalization, they feel the impulse, and then they act. It's actually, it, it, it's a different order. They feel the impulse, they act, then they generalize. That's why when people try to justify their actions, sometimes it sounds like a robot that's breaking, that's trying to translate between 20 different languages. It <laughs> makes no sense. Yeah. Right? yeah, I mean, we all can think of this, and we all do this if we're being perfectly honest. A lot of times we do things around the house that pisses off our spouse, and we try to justify it. And like five seconds in, we're like, God, I'm an idiot. Okay, never mind. I'm sorry. I'm stupid. Like, don't even listen to me, okay? I'm sorry. I'll fix it. But that's how people play poker. They're playing for fun. And the thing about calling on rivers is it's a free roll to look like a genius. The average person is not going to value bet thinly, so they know, to be fair to them, they know when somebody bets big on the river, it's a big bluff or it's a big hand. Now, if you table a big hand, they can just go, I was close to that, and then they can muck. But if you table a big, excuse me, if you table a big hand, they can say, I was close to that, and then they can muck. But if you table a bluff, Oh my God, they're the guy that called the overbet. Oh man, whoo, you're good. Everybody's telling them, nice call, nice call. It's fantastic. And the you can tell that's what people are banking on because have you ever done this, my man, where you like value bet like top pair or like a second player, pair like really hard and the guy calls you on the river and you table what's not as strong as they expected but it's still good? They get pissed at you. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, because you're... You're overbetting or you're betting heavy with what's supposed to be a polarized range. Yeah. <laughs> and, but you're not that polarized because you were making an exploitative play. And that yeah. does, that probably bothers them 
more than any other thing you can do. Yeah, they like really get into it. I had a guy, he was a great player up in Montreal. This is a couple years back, but uh, I, I could just kind of tell he was like something had gotten under his skin or something. And on the river, I had one of those like really goofy spots where it was, uh, if I check, it really sucks. It caps my range. Uh, but betting was really bad too because I had like fourth pair of top kicker. And I just said, I, I think this guy's pissed off. I'm going to bet big like a jackass, right? Or not not big, but like bigger than I should, right? And he called, and he just called with a high card to look me up. And when I tabled fourth pair, that guy went effing ballistic. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. But, yeah, it's it, it's there's certain rules that people think you have to abide by, which you really don't have to. Another one, which is, let's say you call out of the big blind with, like, king-queen. And the board comes like king, two, three, rainbow. You check to the person, and the person c-bets from the cutoff. And they they open like 30% of the hands, and they're c-betting all of it. On a king, two, three board, a lot of times I'll check raise there with my top pair second kicker because they'll call me one time with a high card, which is more money than I'm going to get if I check call. Because if I check call, he goes, oh, he's got like a middling draw. Or excuse me, he has a middling pair. Okay, I'm not going to bet again on the turn. But if I check raise, they go, what the hell is he check raising on this board? This doesn't even make sense. So they call you down with like fours, fives, sixes, sevens, eights, nines, tens. Uh, if they got jacks and they bet that, a lot of guys will pot control the jacks, the tens, and stuff like that. But a lot of times I've had high cards call me down multiple streets. Just also if you can get under their skin, this is kind of the part of poker. This is kind of the art form of poker. I know you love this, the table talk. Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah. I mean, there's an art form to it. There's the polite way to do it. Uh, and there's the other way to do it, which is, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> there's a, I remember just getting when I was real young in Vegas, David Shu just destroyed me because he had every way to get under your skin. He would talk to you a certain way. He'd slam his chips in a certain way. And the second he bust you, he was a nice dude again. All right. It was nice playing with you, handshake. And you realize like, man, I just got worked. Like, I right. don't even know how to play this game. This guy just live worked me. But you can do that, right? Like you can snap the chips out in a way to offend a man's manhood. There's nothing more expensive than the male ego. My buddy always says that. Yeah, that's but a like, great line. Yeah, yeah, my buddy. He's a Filipino cat. I mean, apparently, that's something to say down there. I'm not sure. But uh, he said he always says there's nothing more expensive than the male ego, man. Like, you engage that, you're going to get paid off. And, yeah, you can, like, check raise top pairs and, like, overbet when a bunch of draws miss, and you can get paid off. And here's the thing. I, I, I wanted to focus on this lesson the most before everybody goes out and plays because – Here's the thing. You're not going to become a technically proficient, perfect, technically savvy, defense-first, GTO, optimal, robot, cyborg, geneticist within four days. It's coming up too quick. You're going to have flaws. Everybody's going to be insane. It's going to be tough. Things are going to piss you off. If you can just launch home runs in these tournaments, if you can just pick up 20, 40, 60, 80, 100 big blinds in one clip – Remember, the average win rate for most people over 100 hands is like 10 big blinds. If you can piss a guy off and get him to pay you 30 or 40 big blinds, it's like a home run hitter who doesn't have terrific defense, who strikes out a little bit too often. If he hits 50 home runs in a season, the team is going to find a way to work around it. They will fix everything else. But there is nobody who has such impeccable defense that they can make up for a zero on the scoreboard. You got to get out there and you got to score. You got to get your chips and don't be scared. You got to 
that's the other thing. I always show up to the tournaments and I can always tell who in the first three or four hours is really there for a good time. And if you've ever played a live tournament, has this ever happened to you where two hours in you go, where did 15% of my stack go? Yes. That happens to, yeah, that happens to everybody. Those chips are going to someone, right? And here's the thing. Usually that it's if you're not taking it seriously from the first hour or two, there was someone who was taking it seriously that was working a little bit who took all those chips. And now that puts you in a great standpoint. That Now that puts you in a great point at the dogfight halfway through the tournament because when everybody else has 50, 30 big blinds, something like that, and you got 70 and 80, now you can check raise and put all their chips at play. Now you can three bet and put all their chips at play. Now you can double barrel and put all their chips at play. And they're just fighting for their life right before the bubble. Meanwhile, you just keep rolling that snowball down the hill and it keeps getting bigger and bigger. And you're risking chips that aren't even worth that much. If you go from 70 to 60 big blinds, it's not the bit, it's not that big of a deal. But if you're on the bubble and you go from 30 to 20x, that's not good. But you gotta, at the beginning of the tournament, that's the closest it's gonna be to a cash game. That's the most like a chip's a chip. You know, you're really playing for chips. You're way out from the ICM pressure. You gotta go for the kill because all the weak players, when you're playing in Vegas, they're gonna be gone in four or five hours. So if you show up late, and you can do that mentally or physically. You can show up late for the tournament four or five hours later, physically. And mentally, you can just not show up either. You could just be watching, uh, I guess, I, I always say baseball, typically, when we do this with Vegas tournaments, because it's in the summer. But I guess i got to say football now, because it's the fall. Yeah, it's but, the fall, yeah, right? That was weird. But, yeah, if you're just watching football all day, and you're not paying attention to, okay, great, i got 45 big blinds, you're done. So... Focus on those big bets. Ask yourself, when does the guy got a pair and he doesn't want to fold? Or when does the guy have a high card and he doesn't want to fold in the case of like check raising on a king two three board or something like that? And go for the kill. If you're out in three hours, but you went for the win, hey, go see the movies. You earned it. Go see a show. Or it's Vegas, man. Fire some machine guns. There's all sorts of stuff to do. Have fun. See the city. What you don't want to do, and I bet you've we've all done this before, okay? What I used to do when I went to Vegas is I go, I'm going to be on my best behavior. I'm going to play super tactic. Uh, I'm going to play tactically perfect. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to expose myself at all. Well, that was kind of like going up to the plate without a bat. I wasn't really trying to hit. I wasn't trying to exploit the bad players before they busted. So I kept making it to day two with no chips and playing a short stack and stressing myself out and not cashing. In 11 days into the trip, I was fried, man. Like, I had nothing left. And then a deep run would happen, and I'd be like, dude, I'm not ready. Like, literally, I'm not ready because I kept burning myself out. If you go for the kill, if you go for the big amounts, if you try to get under people's skin, or you try to chat them up and make them feel like it's a friendly game, don't worry about your calls, and it doesn't work out in the first couple of hours because you were going for the weak player, that was going to be out in a couple of hours. Hey, just go enjoy the city, enjoy your rest day, come back for the next day. I love it, man. Do you guys get fired up? Every time I talk to Alex, it <laughs> gets me so fired up. Like I just now, I can't wait to get on that plane and get out there and start and start playing. You know, just your passion for the game. I always say this about Thank you. You, you have so much passion for the game. It's really what makes you um, a great coach and a great author. Is that you? have a way of looking at the game like all of your different analogies here you know like swing for the fences go for the kill try to hit that home run yeah it just makes me want to want to go ahead and do that and i know you have to go alex but i did want to ask you a question 
you know, like, let's go back like, to ask this question. Let's look at that ace eight of spades we had when we yes, did trips on the river there. Do you also, do you think it's very important um, against most of your opponents to ever be bluffing when you put in that 165% bet on the river because you have trips? Like, in other words, would you also make that play sometimes with just like a naked ace of spades or, or anything like that? That's actually a really good question. When I'm playing against good players, which doesn't happen that much because usually if I'm playing against good players, I'm like, why, why the hell am I in this game? <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have time for this, man. Like I, I got other things going on and there's soft enough games, but yeah, there's a lot of times I will, I'll definitely like try to polarize my range and stuff like that. And I'll go, okay, I need to work in a few bluffs. And then, you know, I try to, t I'll be honest with you guys. I try to talk to my friends and go, okay, if I put this hand in and this hand in, is he indifferent to call? And they're like, no, you did it wrong again. I'm like, damn it. But I do try to do it. But I started doing this with like just weak players. I said, once they start folding, I'll start thinking about it again. And I, I, I started filtering for all these hands and I just had a crazy strike rate. And I, I was thinking, you know, it's one of these things like I want poker maybe selfishly to be a little bit more complicated because maybe that would justify some of my failures. <laughs> right. But like there's some times where like when you're sitting down, it, 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 you've, we've all had this happen when we're playing like a cash game at like two in the morning and some guy just got out of the club at the Venetian. He's real liquored up and he struck out at the club and now he's pissed off and he sits down at the table and he calls anything out of the big blind. Well, there's a pretty obvious strategy, which is like, okay, you make it like 10x with aces and you like 2x it with 5-7 suited if you just want to see the flop, right? But it feels so wrong. It feels like there's he's going to pick up on this at some point, right? But at the same time with tournament poker, it's kind of like the original Zoom poker because within like an hour or two, a lot of times you change tables. Now, I'll say this. Let's say you're playing the main. You're gonna you're gonna run into some really good players, okay? You're and you're probably gonna be sitting at that table all day, and that's why you need to be doing the work. People always ask me, should you be learning exploitative poker, or should you be learning GTO poker? Should I be listening to this coach, or should I be listening to that coach? And my question is, why is it a binary decision? I don't understand this. You should be listening to everyone. Take whatever works and leave the rest. You do need the, that theoretical framework. You do need that stuff in order to work against the best players. And if you are going to move up in the stakes, let's be let's be clear. I'm a bum hunter. I like playing against bums. I like thrashing bums for fun and profit. I have a good time doing it. I, I've been doing it for 15 years. It's a boy. That that's something that could really be taken out of context right there. But <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, I I do love my job. I do love playing with low to mid stakes players. But if you move up to high stakes, you're gonna need to know all of this stuff. You're gonna need to work with all the theoretically correct stuff. There's a lot of that stuff on TPE. Brokos is a genius. All there's a lot of GTO dudes. You gotta know that stuff as well. And it could be a great opportunity if you get to play with any of those guys in Vegas and they're two to your left and it's like a $500 tournament, a $1,000 tournament and you can tell they're working on that stuff. Now I want you to start thinking about, okay, I got to throw in a bluff here on occasion. I got to do that. But even then, I'll be honest with you, a lot of times I won't because these guys are still human and after like four and a half hours and they're a little testy, some of them just don't play right. So there's a lot of times I, I got to adjust even – it's really weird when you play WPT, sometimes at the beginning of the day, the guy's just playing lights out and really good. 
And then all of a sudden he goes about something. It's like, okay, I guess he's a mark now. This is really weird that he shifted so quick. I'll give you guys the telltale sign. If the guy seems genuinely relaxed and like he expects to be there a while, run like hell. If that guy doesn't have anything to prove to anyone and doesn't like pump himself up and doesn't say like, oh yeah, I had close to that or, oh, you know, if you'd done that, I could have done that. If he just looks really content and he, here's the one that always terrifies me. When the guy raises preflop, somebody calls him in position and he just check folds out of position and looks totally content with that. That's somebody who understands cold call ranges. That's somebody who doesn't worry about losing a pot here and there if the equity advantage is with someone else. That's someone you've got to be terrified against. But that is also someone who might understand if you do a certain play that you could be doing it with value. So you might be able to get away with some bluffs in these areas that look like super exploitative overbats. Yeah, really good points there. I mean, it all comes back to you have to play against the player. I mean, that's like the oldest line in poker, but you play the (laughs) player, right? I mean, that's really what all this different... All these different ideas, all these like different books we write and videos we watch, at the end of the day, you have to play differently against player A than you would against player B, and you need to know the difference between them and how best to approach playing against both of them in order to be successful long-term in the game. So, yeah, I mean, that's Absolutely. what I hear you saying, man. I'm, yeah. I'm listening. That's what I'm hearing. No, for sure. I mean, you see this in sport all the time. Like in baseball, we're always going to bring up baseball. But, yeah, the Chicago, when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series, what was his name? He used an exploitative play. Oh my God, who's the catcher? I can't even remember his name. But, yeah, catcher, it was like his last game ever, and he hit a home run. I can't remember his name. He looked at the pitcher, and he realized whenever he shakes off the first pitch, it's a slider. He's throwing a fastball, and his fastball is not that good. And he hit it for the home run, and it changed the entire direction of Game 7. And they ended up winning the game. Uh, Floyd Mayweather, very GTO perfect defense. Very, very beautiful tactician in the ring. But when he goes in there and the guy just decides to bum rush him, well, it's not going to be a boxing match anymore, is it? He's going to have to stay out of there. And when the guy leaves himself open, he's going to have to clock him because if he tries to go in there and box, it's not going to work out that way. You're always playing the player, whether it's sport, whether it's poker, whether it's business, whether it's anything. Now, I'm trying to figure out who that catcher was. David Ross? Is that your name? Yeah, yeah. Was that it? David Ross is what I wanted to say. I always get him in the pitcher's name. Uh, John Lester is the other one. Thank you. Okay, okay. I was going to say John Lester. I was like, that's the pitcher. No. <laughs> David Ross. Unreal. Unreal. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I'm excited to play. I'm excited to get, get out to Vegas. I'm excited to hang out with you. Um, you know, catch up in person. I haven't seen you in years. Yeah, all right. So what have you not plugged yet that we want to make sure we mention for our listeners to check out? You know, I'm happy to be on here. Check out all their plugs, you know, that everybody's putting on. Uh, go to PokerHeadRush.com. Kind of like my daily free newsletter, free training all the time. Check it out. There you go. PokerHeadRush.com for the free daily newsletter from Alex Fitzgerald, the Assassinato. And also, don't forget, guys, you can get $10 off your first month at Tournament Poker Edge by using the promo code podcast in all caps when you check out all right alex thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me online today and look forward to seeing you in person yes sir i'm looking forward to it as well this was fun yeah so much fun and so for alex fitzgerald and for everybody here at tournament poker edge i'm clayton fletcher thank you so much for listening i wanna hold them like they do